Hey, um, not sure how many of you are aware of it, but today is actually Orphan Sunday. It's a Sunday uh, that happens annually uh, where the church globally pauses to recognize the need of the orphan. And uh, praise the Lord, we're a church that, have, that has joined in on this movement. This is the fourth year that we take uh, this Sunday aside to recognize those that are in vulnerable situations, these children and their families. Um, not sure how much you guys are aware of the need out there in regards to um, orphan care and those that are orphaned. Um, in the world today, there's 153 million orphans, according to UNICEF. Uh, if that were a country in itself, that'd be the ninth largest country uh, right ahead of Russia, which is crazy to think about. Um, and that is defined by um, a child that is under the age of 18 that has experienced a death of at least one of their parents. And oftentimes when that takes place, especially internationally in other countries, those kids end up in a group home or an orphanage where oftentimes it's not the greatest of conditions as well. We know that 15.1 million orphans are, are double what they refer to as double orphans are throughout the world. That's where a child has lost both parents due to death. Uh, we know that in the United States, there's over 20,000 kids that age out of the foster care system, most of which were adoptable. We know that in foster care, in, in just Ohio alone, over the course of this year, there'll be 25,000 kids in the foster care system. Currently, right now, there's 15,000. We know that in the United States alone, that there's over 700,000 kids in foster care. We know that there's 300,000 churches in the United States. And if the church was willing to step up, each church was willing to step up and take in 2.3 kids, we would resolve the foster care crisis. And these kids would be in homes where they get to encounter not just family, but the love of Jesus Christ. And so I am, I am honored to be a part of a church that wants to be intentional with the great commandment in this way of loving the orphan, of pursuing that call that Jesus Christ gives us, that God gives us. We see it all the way from Genesis throughout the, throughout the, and then all the way through the, up, up to Revelation throughout the whole book of the Bible. And so I count it a privilege to be a part of a church that wants to fight for these kids that are in vulnerable situations. So I want to pause right now. I just want to pray for the orphan, for us as a church to be faithful in fulfilling that call to love the orphan and vulnerable families. Lord, we just thank you that you invite us <clears throat> to be a part of your kingdom. You invite us to do the work alongside of you. We just thank you that uh, it's not us doing alone, but it's us joining you in the fight. Lord, we recognize that you've always been doing this work. And so we faithfully come alongside you, trusting and believing that you'll empower us to do it well. And Lord, I just, I pause and think of all the kids that are orphaned right now, that feel like they've never experienced the love of the Father. Lord, I pray that you would be close to them. We trust and believe that that promise is true, that you are close to the brokenhearted and you save those that are crushed in spirit. So I pray that you would be with them. I pray you'd be with the kids that are in foster care right now. Oftentimes they're getting jumped and, and hopped from place to place, from home to home. Lord, I pray that you would bring a level of stability in the life that only you can. But Lord, I pray that the church, the Big C Church, would step up and meet these needs, knowing that it is one of the, if not the greatest, apologetic to the gospel. And so, Lord, we praise you that you adopted us as your sons and daughters. We glorify you because of that. And, Lord, I pray that that would transform the way that we live. 
and the way that we fight for the orphan we see today. Lord, I pray for tonight and the words that you will speak through the Bible, Lord, I just pray that it would challenge us to live life zealously for you, faithful to the call that you've given us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a question. Um, was there anything in your youth um, that you did that you did not realize was outside of the norm until you experienced someone else doing the exact opposite? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Was there anything that you did that you were like, oh, wait, not everyone does do that? Any, any examples out there? She's all, okay. Anyone else? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Typical four, five, six-year-old move, maybe older, right? Uh, any, anything else that was weird, unique? Jeremiah. I licked plate You licked your plate clean. You thought that was normal, right? Until you did it at someone's house realizing that no one else was doing it. We'll pray for you, Jeremiah. Um, Hey, there, yeah, there was a handful of things that I realized were just not normal in the Krause house growing up. Um, and I apologize to my family in advance because they may feel shame because of this. But uh, hey, yeah, I just thought it was normal that you literally got your milk from the farm. And what I mean by that, going to the farm, we lived, grew up in Plain City, representing, right, Brandon? Yes. So we lived in the country and we literally went to a neighbor to go to the farm to literally pick up our milk. And I, have, I remember actually having to set out the milk to let the cream settle. Anyone know what I'm talking about? To skim it off. That's literally how we had milk. I thought everyone did that until I went to a friend's house one day realizing, wait a second, that's, that's not the same. Um, with that said, milk toast. Anyone do milk toast? Anyone heard of that? Speaking of milk? What is it? What do you do? Correct. Warm up the milk. Did you warm up the milk? Yeah, yeah. So it's like the cheap man's version and quick man's version of French toast. I thought it was like everyone's like favorite like breakfast until, again, I went to someone else's house and they never heard of it. Another weird one being is that I thought um, everyone's, everyone's swimming pool smelled and looked like a pond. Yeah. <laughs> I thought like it was only the public pools that were pristine, uh, but that was obviously not true. I kid you not, we had frogs laying eggs in our pool one year, and I just thought it was normal. Um, I, I pinned that one on my mom. Um, and I also thought that all parents did their kids' homework. Um, true. It was um, very true. Um, if, um, like, my mom is weird because she saves, like, all my work from growing up, in, you know, throughout school, um, kindergarten up through high school. And I, every now and then I look back on some of the work that I did, and I, uh, I, I saw this one project that was given to me, right, uh, to where we had to, like, draw this, like, elaborate picture. Holy Van Gogh. That was not me but my mother. Um, and some of the writings that I had were literary gold, and that is to my mom. I also thought it was very common that all boys, you just pee outside, right? Right? And so I went to Justin Prohaska's house one day when I was about 11 or 12 and started to pee in his backyard and realized that too is not normal. <laughs> that is all on my parents, mainly my mom. And so um, talk to her. But uh, all, in all seriousness, um, one thing that I did, I did think was absolutely normal, that my mom actually set an example and really is a legacy in my life that I hope is a legacy that I passed down 
to my kids, and it's that of biblical hospitality. My mom did not know a stranger. There's countless times where we had foreign exchange students in our home, internationals that had just literally come to the United States to have a Christmas meal with us, a Thanksgiving meal, or to celebrate New Year's Day. I, I can think of countless kids that we had just met that were allowed into our home. As a single mom, allowing foster kids to come in our home at one point, up to seven at one point, seven kids in our home as a single mother. My mom understood biblical hospitality. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Because in, in this concept, and it ties into this concept of orphan care, if we think about orphan care, there's three legs of orphan care that hold up the ministry of orphan care, if that makes sense. One being um, adoption. Adoption. That is a leg that holds up the ministry of, one of the legs that holds up the, the ministry of orphan care. It's a very redemptive work, right? We also see foster care. The goal of, in foster care is to see reconciliation take place between kids and their parents because of neglect and abuse. They hope to reconcile that. And the last leg of orphan care that you saw in the, in the video is that of family preservation. And so the first two I talked about are very much reactive. It's reacting to situations. And the third leg is actually proactive, going upstream to prevent kids from ending up as orphans. And then in this ministry of orphan care, you see this common thread of biblical hospitality. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. You may not necessarily feel called to orphan care in the sense of adoption or foster care or safe families, which we're going to highlight a little bit later. But I, when I look at scripture, one thing is obvious to me is that we are called to be hospitable. Truly, biblically hospitable. And so let's take a look at what that means, what that looks like. So if you look at the Greek, the Greek word of hospitality in Scripture, it literally translates to love of strangers, love to strangers. It's not this, uh, uh, this picture that has been painted in America today of having this this fine dining room table laid out with the finest dishes with the greatest meal and inviting your friends over to have a celebration, to have a party, knowing that at some point it will be reciprocated by them. True, ancient, biblical hospitality is love to strangers. And when you look at Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you see um, how you see in the ways that this takes place is predominantly to this demographic of people that are, can be described in a, in a few different ways, whether it's a traveler, a wanderer, wanderer, a sojourner, a wayfarer, a foreigner, or a stranger. Ultimately, it's, it's, it's a person without a permanent place. You see Job live this out well, Abraham. You see it all the way up to the New Testament, this challenge to the church to be hospitable, to love the stranger predominantly through using your home. And so that's what I want to look at tonight. And so let's take a look at, we're going to take a look at just, it's kind of a crash course on biblical hospitality. And I hope that we're challenged in a way to rethink how we can be more intentional with this as the church. So let's take a look at the foundation here, the point one. This is the foundation in which we practice biblical hospitality. You can turn with me here in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. Again, Hebrews 11. 13 through 16, says here, this is, uh, I, uh, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with this passage, it's the hall of faith, it's these people that were living their faith out from the Old Testament, those that actually were living before the coming of Christ, right? And it says this in verse 13, 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, that being the promise of Christ and all of the prophecies that came with his incarnational life on earth. And they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. So in faith they saw them, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. They're wanderers. They're sojourners. They're wayfarers. They're foreigners in a, in a foreign land, strangers. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And praise the Lord for that. For he has prepared, he has prepared a city for them. The people we see in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 understood that they were strangers looking for their final destination. That they were looking for a home that they, that they could not find here on earth. Check this out. Jesus says similar words in John 14. We know this well probably, right? Verses 2 and 3. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? He's speaking this to the disciples. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may, that you may also be where I am. So God in Hebrew says, I have prepared a city for you. And in this city, Jesus is saying, as I have prepared a place, a home for you, that will be your eternal dwelling. I love how if we were to go back in Hebrews 4, we read in Hebrews 11, if we were to go back in, sorry, Hebrews 3 and 4, we, we see the words spoken that uh, it, it uses the analogy of what took place with um, the Israelites who escaped the bondage in Egypt and ended up in the promised land of Canaan. And there, there the, the words in Hebrews 3, it talks about how God wanted them to bring them out of this place of slavery into a place of rest. And when you look at what rest means, ultimately what it means, what it translates to is a heavenly dwelling. And so here's the reality. Here's the foundation of biblical hospitality is that it should be rooted in this, understanding that this is not our home. This is not our permanent home. But God and Jesus is preparing this incredible place for us in heaven. We just don't get to experience this eternal, heavenly home. But more importantly, praise the Lord for this, the host of that eternal home. There is a heavenly Father that is welcoming us in to this home through great hospitality. And so may our eyes turn to Jesus first when we recognize what hospitality is all about. And in doing so, in our acts of faith, of living out biblical hospitality, I truly believe that we are mirrors that are reflecting of the glory of God in that way. But I tell you what, I'm going to challenge this hard. I think the church needs to be challenged really hard with this. We suck at biblical hospitality. When I look at, I love Matthew 25. It's one of my favorite passages. Jesus gives a couple parables there. He talks about this man going on, this man leaving and coming back, ultimately speaking of Christ. And he has, um, he has given these, these three men this responsibility 
to steward what it is that he's given them and to steward it well. Right? We know this parable. We need to steward all that it is that God's given us to further his kingdom. And I feel like we've kept our home too close to us. We have bought into the lie that it is ours and just ours. It's a refuge that we've created just for us and for no one else. Let us dismiss that lie and substitute it with what is true. Man, God has challenged us to steward everything that he's given us, which is everything, for the betterment and the furtherment of his kingdom. So let us not be possessors of anything and everything, but stewards of everything. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy 2. Look at, let's take a look at the expectations of church leaders. We're going to take a look at two different verses here, uh, two different passages. 1 Timothy 3 and then Titus 1. 1 Timothy 3, 2 says this. Now the overseer, which translates best to either elder or pastor is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperament, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Take a look at Titus 1, 7, 8. Similar expectations are given to the overseer. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing honest gain. Rather, this is what he must be. He must be hospitable. He must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. The challenge here to the church leaders was that they wanted to be faithful to the great commandment just as much as they were faithful to the great commission, the great commandment of loving God and loving others, loving the stranger, Loving the stranger, welcoming into your home. They also wanted to see that the leaders are willing to have others see their home life, which I believe is the arena in which their Christianity is most graphically revealed. This was not just a suggestion to the church leaders, but it was an expectation. Take a look at this. It was an expectation of the widows as well. 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 10 says, No widow must be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Let's look beyond kind of what is obvious here. I think there is an obvious implication of expectation of women to be hospitable. Because this is not who it is that they were looking for them to be once they became widows, but who they were before they actually were widows. Does this make sense? And so in the church, you see this. I think this is, I think this is really important for us to understand. There's this expectation the church had of church leaders to be hospitable. And they had this expectation of women, which at that day, they were not viewed as highly as men. And so in the church, they were honoring both in this way, saying, we expect this of church leaders. We expect this of the women. And then, with that said, that bleeds in well into the expectation of the church. Let's take a look at Romans 12, 13. Simply says, practice hospitality. I love that it uses the word practice. It's a discipline. We need to work at it. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes practice to do it well. I love 1 Peter 4, 9. It says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
I mean, I can tell you what, one thing I've learned about hospitality, true biblical hospitality, and I've learned it a ton through the ministry of Safe Families as well, is that it is truly a ministry of inconvenience and interruption. It is hard. It is challenging. It's not this act of service where you go out for two hours, check it off the list, and come back to the safety of your home. It's there with you 24-7. It's inconvenient, and it's interruption often. But the challenge is to do it without grumbling. It says in Scripture, do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. Here's what I've learned. I've learned a few things as far as what it takes. Obviously, you need the Spirit to work in you and through you through the ministry of biblical hospitality. You cannot do it on your own, obviously. But in your weakness, you are strong. And I believe you have to be a person of prayer when you're in the ministry of biblical hospitality. You have to definitely be patient. You have to communicate expectations, but also hold loosely to the, the, those expectations. And also, here's what I've learned. You have to live below your means so that you can be generous to be biblical, to, to live out biblical hospitality. Number five, it's critical in church growth. Let's take a look at uh, 3 John, verses 5 through 8. John writes these words to Gaius. It says here, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you, foreigners in a foreign land. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name, capital N and name, Jesus, that they went out so they were missionaries, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. See, this was critical in the growth of the church, especially with the persecution that was taking place. I also want you to think about this, Acts 2. We're familiar with Acts 2, the growth of the church. It's during the time of Pentecost. We know hundreds of people are traveling upwards of even 1,000 miles away in Rome to Jerusalem to celebrate the Pentecost, right? And there we see the Spirit ascend upon the disciples, and we see 3,000 men alone initially come to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, were all those people from other countries? No, a lot of them probably resided in Jerusalem, but there was a good number of those that lived elsewhere. So there was a great thing that was happening, those giving their life to Jesus Christ, but there was a big problem. What do we do with all these people that want to live their life for, for Jesus Christ that want to stay here now? Did a lot of them return? Yeah, but we got to believe, we'd be ignorant, ignorant to think that some did not stay there. So the church had to step up, and we'd see later in Acts 2 that there was no one in need. We understand, we know from this that there was true biblical hospitality taking place, that what was yours was no longer yours, but was others. So it was critical in the growth of the early church, that being biblical hospitality. See, the reality is, is that true radical hospitality costs. From sharing a meal, providing a hot shower, or offering your extra bed, it costs. It can cost us our time, our energy, our space, our money. But how we treat others truly reflects our true values and points to us and to others what truly matters. Either that we love ourselves or that we love God and others. My challenge to us is do we, do we just see people 
as objects of inconvenience, especially the stranger? Or do we see them as unique creations that are image bearers to a loving God? And what is more important to us, our people or the palace that we've created? Let's welcome these people into that palace. May we use our home, which we often consider our refuge, so that it can be a refuge for others and so that they can encounter the living God. Here's what I've learned to love about hospitality. And it's going to, man, I come into this humbly. Um, God has given me the opportunities. Christ has invited me into opportunities to exercise biblical hospitality. And it has been, a, it's been something where I am proud to be able to testify to the ways that God has been at work in and through my life because I've said yes to this. And so here's what it is that we get to experience when we truly welcome the stranger into our home. It can be the place, the place that God has given you can be a place of refuge for someone else. We've talked about this already. A while back, there was someone that was displaced from their home because of their life being at threat. And we had the opportunity to welcome this person in. And I remember our community of people that lived in our neighborhood came and surrounded him that first day and prayed for him. And I remember him speaking these words to me immediately after that, saying, I needed to find a family. It challenged, another thing, it challenges my constant struggle to be selfish and to be a poor steward. When I exercise and practice biblical hospitality, it shatters me of that. I love how Chris, a couple weeks ago, talked, talked from Romans 12, 1, how we are to be a living sacrifice. Man, biblical hospitality is one of the greatest ways for you to be a living sacrifice. Another one, people get to see the real, authentic me. They get to see me 24-7. Not just when I'm up front speaking, not just when I'm engaging them in ministry, but they get to see me at my worst and at my best, and that's at home. And I think a, a cynical world needs to see the authentic us. Similarly, I think we make transparent to a watching world how Christ can transform a life a family, and a home. When we welcome kids through some form of orphan care into our home, oftentimes their homes are broken and hurting. And these kids, these people, get to potentially experience hope as they get welcomed into your family and into your home. God does something powerful when we break bread. Amen to that. And I think we as Americans, we need to reclaim the dinner table. And we need to invite strangers to that dinner table. I remember a while back, about, this was about five years ago, where I found out some, this one um, <clears throat> um, young man in our neighborhood uh, did not have anywhere to go to celebrate Christmas. And so we invited him over for Christmas morning breakfast. And I remember us cracking open our Bibles um, to read the Christmas story. And engaging in such powerful conversation to where I, know that I knew the seeds of the gospel were being sown. To where he was experiencing family and home on a day where he needed it. And praise the Lord. This is, I think this is what's cool is that months later in our home, not even for me, but another visitor in my home led that person to Christ. 
There is a 24-7 opportunity. Here's the last thing that I want to highlight that I love about hospitality. It is truly a 24-7 opportunity for the seeds of the living gospel to be sown. That is inferring that's, that the gospel is alive in us. <laughs> so yeah, through the ministry of Safe Families, which, uh, praise the Lord, my wife and I got to be a, a host parents in that <clears throat> shortly after I got started here in Central Ohio, is that we got to, some of you, maybe a lot of you may know the story, but we got to welcome in a child that was medically fragile, who needed a heart, uh, he's going to need more heart surgery, but he had a, a couple in the first months of his life, and we had the opportunity to host him for almost six months. And I was so blessed with the opportunity that every time I held this child, I got to pray for him. That 24-7, this kid got to be exposed to the gospel. And that's the opportunity that we get when we allow ourselves to be people about biblical hospitality. So I just want to give you some practical examples of how you can show some radical biblical hospitality. Um. IFI, it's already been talked about. It's a great outlet to do that, hosting foreign exchange students, inviting new neighbors over to dinner when they move into the neighborhood, monthly invite to your neighbors uh, just to have them over for dinner as you meet new neighbors, Uh, having a homeless family over for Thanksgiving or Christmas or some other holiday, maybe inviting a homeless person in for the unforeseeable future, missionary family on furlough, housing someone while they serve in vocational ministry, adoption or foster care, and safe families for children, which I'm going to get into here in a little bit. But one thing, I just want to share one more story before I talk about safe families specifically, is that, um, man, this is why I love that I grew up with a mom that left a legacy of biblical hospitality. There's a moment that I lived in the hilltop, and I uh, had this... uh, um, this Toyota truck, this white Toyota truck that I used to drive around all the time. And I, um, it's kind of important to the story because I think it shows the power of um, inviting people into, into life, into, into family. And I was driving this truck around, and I was driving down Sullivan. If you know anything about the hilltop, I can be rough at times. <clears throat> and um, I was driving down Sullivan, and off the side of the road, I saw this guy beating a woman. Middle of the day, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I didn't know what to do in that moment, but my first inclination is that I needed to spin around and go up and and see if that woman needed anything to potentially confront this man. So I, t- I take this U-turn. And I, as I took this U-turn and I, I, I started to turn around, I was thinking, oh, man, what did I just decide to do? Man, like, what am I going to say? So I worked my way around the block and come up. And maybe, if, fortunately, the guy was gone. He was walking away. But the woman was there crying. And here I am in this big white truck, and I open it up. And I say, I saw what ha- happened. How can I help? And all she did was begin to cry. And so I opened up my door. I said, would you be willing? This was the first thought that came to mind. And maybe if I were to go back, maybe I'd do it differently. It wasn't to call the police. And I probably should have, right? But my first inclination was is that she needs to experience home and family. Literally, that was the first thing I thought. So I said, would you mind getting into this truck, into my truck, and going back to my home? I, at that time, obviously, I'm living with my wife, but there, uh, Lori was living, we were living with Lori. Some of you may know her, Lori Moore. And I, would, I knew that... I knew that they would welcome her and love her in the ways that Christ would. She needed to experience family. So she gets into my truck, unbelievably, right? And uh, I take her back to my home there in the hilltop. And I get out, and I had, I, had called, I had called Aaron to let her know what was happening. And there is Aaron and Lori waiting at the front door to welcome this woman in. 
And immediately I just surround her and pray for her. And there I was able to, I stepped back and there I was just able to observe. Someone needed to experience the refuge of our home. And hopefully in doing that, they experience the refuge that they can find in Jesus Christ. And this is my, ultimately my challenge, is for us to think about biblical hospitality. Man, I, and I mean this with all sincerity. I, as I was preparing for this, I realized I don't do it enough. And I mean that. And I think we as the American church has fallen short in biblical hospitality. And praise the Lord that this church has welcomed in the ministry of safe families because it is truly a practical way to practice biblical hospitality. And so I want to just explain a little bit of what Safe Families is about because it is a great outlet to get plugged into. Not saying this is what you have to do as it pertains to biblical hospitality, but there's already, what I, what I was telling Chris Old earlier this week is that one thing I love about um, ministry becomes more fun when you do it with those in the church, right? Amen to that. And the church is, a, is attacking this ministry and the need out there with zeal as it pertains to Safe Families. And so Safe Families ultimately is a, is a ministry of family preservation through biblical hospitality. And so we are coming alongside families that are facing crisis. And the four main ways we see them fight, facing crisis in Columbus, Ohio, is either homelessness, domestic violence, drugs, or medical emergencies. And so we got predominantly these single moms that are calling in saying, I'm facing a crisis and I need help. And I just need a moment where someone can watch my kids while I get back on my feet. And so we want to go upstream. We want to prevent a lot of things from happening. We want to prevent neglect and abuse. We want to prevent kids from ending up in the foster care system, especially if it can be avoided. We want to prevent childhood trauma. And so we welcome these kids in our home while the parents get back on their feet. And we, the church, also get to come around these parents to help them and help rectify their life and for them to engage in the community of Jesus Christ. Because if you think about the single mom, again, predominantly, calling in to save families, they're asking a stranger to take in their kids. And what we believe that they're communicating more than anything else is that they're socially isolated. And we believe the church's greatest resource is the community of Jesus Christ. Amen to that. And so we get to see these two things collide. And when this family that is socially isolated receives the community that is thrown in them, what we've seen in Central Ohio is they thrive. When they experience biblical hospitality, they thrive. And so this is the opportunity that we have through Safe Families. So I just want to talk about who the church needs to be to thrive in this ministry. It goes back to what we've talked about this whole time, is we need to resurrect biblical hospitality. We are loving these strangers as we welcome them into our home. We're not giving them our second best, but our best. So what is yours now becomes theirs. Number two, we need to repurpose our homes and families. It's not about safety, but it's about service. Again, we have believed a lie that, and should our home be a refuge for us? Yes, it should. But I believe it should be a refuge for others. And so let us not just go out to serve people. Let's welcome into the service of our homes. Number three is we need to rethink ownership. When this ministry started 15 years ago out of Chicago, Dave Anderson, the founder, went to the head of DCS, the Division of Children's Services in Chicago, which is huge. And he pitched this idea to him. He said, it'll never work, and this is why. What we've seen in the foster care system is unless the, the foster parents have an opportunity to own these kids, they truly don't love them well. Meaning that if they don't get a chance to adopt them, they're not loving them in the best ways that they can. Here's what I love about Safe Families. 15 years later, 15 years, la years later, over 100 chapters now, we've proven them wrong. 
that there's an army of Christ followers that aren't getting paid a dime just to love kids and to love families. Number four is we need to redefine success. Our success is not measured based upon our fruitfulness, but our faithfulness. Give me an hour to talk about it, and I will, but I won't. And number five, we need to remarket the need. As a foster parent, I hear this um, language too much from other foster parents, is that we are saving these kids from bad parents. It's not true. We need to remarket the need. We have people that are hurting, that are broken, that are facing crisis. It's made it really hard on them to be the parents that they want to be. And you know what, the kid, what these kids want the most more than anything else? Is their, is their parents. So if it's the parents that they want, we're going to love their parents just as much as the kids love them. Amen to that. And so I want to show a quick video of uh, Chris actually speaking about the ministry of Safe Families. And Aaron's going to come up. My wife's going to come up and talk a little bit more about Safe Families. So.